Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Oh boy, Fizz Nation. Uh, It's been an interesting couple of weeks to say the least, and we're going to break it all down for you here on Fizz Radio. J.D. Rachi alongside Thomas Schultz. We'll talk a little Syracuse football, a little NFL combine coming up starting tomorrow. Four Syracuse players will be in that, but we got to start with the team that is currently playing right now, the team that had us with such high hopes about three weeks ago, five-game winning streak heading into Clemson and Duke, and and since then, things have fallen completely off the tracks, completely everything has gone wrong for this Syracuse basketball team. Losers of six of their last seven, and they just got annihilated by Louisville down in Kentucky. And I think the biggest issue for this team has got to be the play of Buddy Beheim. In the last three games, Beheim's averaged 8.3 points per game. You need a whole lot more from your second leading scorer on the team. Elijah Hughes and Joe Girard have tried to step up. The problem is Joe Girard, he can score, but he's a high-volume scorer. He's not efficient at this stage of his career. He needs time, and Elijah Hughes, is he can't handle it all on his own, especially against teams like Louisville and Jordan Nora. This team just doesn't have enough, and of course, Barama Sidibe is just not the player that you need at the center position. Barama's a whole other issue at this point. We'll get to him in a little bit, he and Mark Dolajai, because foul trouble reared its ugly head again. But I want to go back to what you were talking about uh, with Buddy, Eli, and Joe. Quite frankly, they were not good in this game. And Chris Mack said, the Louisville head coach said after the game in his press conference, you know, to keep those three guys all shooting under 50%, there aren't many teams in the country that can do that. Uh, I really don't think we've seen that this season, at least not more than two or three times, maybe a handful at most. But they just shut him down completely. Buddy was good in the first half. He had 11 points in the first half to lead all scorers. And then he just disappeared in the second, only four points. Six for 15 from the floor, three for 10 from the three-point line. Those numbers got to come up. Joe, like you said, inefficient night. Four for 14, two for six, two for two from the free throw line. He had 12 points. And then Elijah, I think, was, uh, you know, this is probably one of his worst games, um, you know, of this year. Just because he's been so consistent this season, he might not ever explode except for that Georgia Tech game back in December, but every single night he gives you 19 to 25 points. He's right in that mix, and this game he just got completely wiped. He couldn't do anything against anybody. Three for 13, one for six from beyond the arc, and I just think his shot selection for the first time this year wasn't where it needed to be. We know that Joe Girard has struggled with shot selection this year, mostly because he made everything in high school, so I think he thinks everything is a makeable shot. That's just not the case against high-level Division I ACC defenses, no matter how bad the ACC is this year, which it's it's pretty bad. But, uh, you know, this is the first time I really saw Eli, and I'm like, why are you taking that shot, man? Like, why aren't you taking Jordan Wara, who as good of a player as he is, he is a liability defensively. He is not a good defender. Why are you not taking him to the cup and drawing fouls and trying to get through the lane? And why are you taking a pull-up turnaround jumper from the free throw line? I I don't want to question his decision-making because he's a heck of a basketball player. I think he's in the top three conversation for ACC Player of the Year uh, between him, Wara, and Vernon Carey of Duke. And you might be able to throw Trey Jones of Duke in there as well. But I was just a little bit miffed with the way that this big three played because going up against the number 11 team in the country that's coming off two straight losses that is, frankly, pissed. They're not happy. 
They want a win really badly, especially in front of their home crowd, trying to get themselves back on the right track. You have got to have better performances out of your three superstars, quote-unquote, and they just didn't get that. Well, and going into this game, I think everyone knew that Louisville was going to come in extremely angry and wanting a win. Syracuse should feel the exact same way. I mean, they've been struggling down the stretch. And, of course, I mean, we mentioned this offense has been anemic. Elijah Hughes is taking bad shots. I mean, they all are. I've seen all three of the big three take contested threes that just never had a shot early in the shot clock. Joe Girard took a couple five seconds within the start of the shot clock. There was one, it was a fast break. Four Louisville players were running down the court That was with maybe them. the worst shot of the, I've ever seen yeah. him take. It was a one-on-five fast break. And, and what he does is he pulls up from three, a contested three, mind you, and bricks it. And there's nobody down the floor to rebound for him. So Louisville, at a time where Syracuse had an easy bucket, or at least what he should have done is slow the ball down, let his teammates catch up, maybe find somebody streaking to the hoop for an easy layup, he takes a contested three, and that's just not a formula for success and that's been a huge problem all year long for Joe Girard and really catching up to Syracuse when they're playing this high level of competition like Louisville like Florida State like Duke another issue JD that I want to talk about is yeah this offense has been bad but so is Syracuse's defense Joe Girard it's worse it's way worse than the offense absolutely at least the offense can score I mean the defense couldn't stop a flood with a I don't even know I mean they just can't do anything <laughs> can't, I mean and like we can talk about how undersized Joe Girard is he is but that's not the main issue of why this defense is so bad. What happens is Gerard and Bayheim are collapsing the 2-3 zone when the ball gets to the free throw line and just leaving open shooters at the wing, and you just can't do that against anybody, especially against ACC players. And then when Merrick Dolajai is playing center, there was a couple times I saw him in the Louisville game. He came up and tried to double the guy who had the ball at the free throw line, leaving his man at the baseline wide open for an alley-oop or maybe an easy lob for a putback or whatever like the defense is bad at the wing it's bad at the hoop it's just bad everywhere defense is terrible I mean Jim Beheim has said multiple times he said it after Florida State he said it after Louisville we just can't get a stop I mean we just can't stop the bleeding and I think a lot of that you know is just the fact that it's there's so much inexperience in this 2-3 zone you know you're playing you're throwing guys out there that haven't played bit like let's let's be honest like Baram Sadibe is a junior but he hasn't played much like up until this year he has really not played very much in the 2-3 zone. Uh, Joe is a number one undersized, number two, a little bit inexperienced in the zone. And then Quincy Garrier, God bless him, he has been having a bunch of really, really good games. I mean, during this uh, six losses and seven game streak, I'd argue that Quincy might have been, might be the best player that Syracuse has had, especially at least over the last three. But everything has just kind of fallen apart. And I think the interesting thing that happened in the Louisville game is they had two different kinds of defensive breakdowns, one in the first half, one in the second. First half, they could not guard Ryan McMahon. I mean, the kid shoots 81% of his shots from beyond the arc. 81% of his shots come from beyond the arc. I just don't understand how you could have that many defensive breakdowns where he gets seven open looks and makes four of them. I mean, they were wide open. That kid is going to burn you every single time. He shoots over 40%. And I guess after the game, which uh, Jim Beheim had an all-time presser, if you haven't it watched incredible. it, if you haven't listened to it, I would highly recommend because he uh, he had some fun with the Louisville <laughs> reporters that were egging him on a little bit, to Even say the, the least. the Syracuse guys. Yeah, but it was more the fact that it was going after the Syracuse people and the Louisville people thought it was, ha-ha, Jim Beheim's hilarious, like he's having one of those moments. And he saw that they were laughing, so he kept going, but... 
Uh, you know, Jim said after the game that on the McMahon, that, that was their number one priority in the first half was do not let him get hot. That's exactly what they did. But what he said was he made four threes. Four times it was somebody different that had a defensive miscue. He said Elijah made a defensive miscue, Buddy made a defensive miscue, Joe made a defensive miscue, and Quincy made a defensive miscue, all opening up Ryan McMahon for an open three. That just cannot happen. Like, the zone, it's been bad this year. Like, the defense is terrible. They're bottom, like, 120 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. They've been top 30 for, like, the last 10 years. I mean, this is the worst defense we have seen in quite some time. And then in the second half, they said, okay, we can't let McMahon shoot again, uh, you know, shoot over us again and get hot again. Let's move the zone up and kind of play those wings a little bit higher, which has been something they've traditionally been doing this year. And then the, the big guys down low, Malik Williams, Stephen Enoch, I mean, even Dwayne Sutton, who's not that big, he's 6'5", they dominated on the interior. I mean, Malik Williams probably had the best game of his career. He had like a 17.13 rebound double-double and just plastered Syracuse, plastered him. And I think the elephant in the room that we haven't even talked about is just the play or the lack of playing time that Barama Sidibe is getting Terrible. because he keeps Terrible. fouling out. He fouled out in a season-low 11 minutes. I don't even know how that's possible. I really don't. It's crazy. And, I mean, the thing is, if you do the math, if he played 40 minutes, he's fouling out almost 20. He's committing almost 20 fouls in this game, which is just, I I don't even know how you can do that. And, I mean, I know he hasn't gotten much playing time before this year, but it's just absolutely awful from Barama Sidibe. How about this? Five of the last six games he's fouled out. 17 of the last 18, he's had at least four fouls. How? It's terrible. It's really, really bad. Mark Dolajai, I, I think that Marek and Quincy, Barama hadn't quite figured this out yet, but Barama and Quincy the last two, three games have really been working on getting rid of what Quincy told me were stupid fouls. Those fouls where it's pretty obvious that the other guy's going to get the rebound and you're still trying to hack at him from behind, you're going over the back, you're raking him across the wrists, things like that, where... Save your fouls for the defensive end. Like, yeah. that's where fouls should be. They shouldn't be on rebounds. And that's where it seems like, I don't know the exact numbers, but it feels like 95% of the fouls for those three are coming from underneath the bucket trying to get offensive rebounds. Just don't do it. Just run away. And, and Marek, that's how he fouled out in this game. I think he just got frustrated at some point in the second half when Syracuse was getting their butt kicked and getting their butt handed to him. And he said, I'm just going to go for rebounds trying to get us back in the game. And, and he couldn't pull him in. And he's got to be smarter than that because this team is a whole different animal when he's not on the floor. I mean, he is so important to this team. Such a, I mean, this is questionable now because he fouls out too often. But high basketball IQ, at least on offense with the ball in his hands, excellent passer, good facilitator. He's also got to be more aggressive offensively. He took one shot the whole game. Yeah. One shot. I mean, that can't happen either. It, it, it's he needs to be at least a 10-plus guy at this point in his career. The thing about Quincy, what was interesting at the beginning of the game, Baram Sidibe obviously starts the game, is pulled after about 30 seconds by Jim Beheim. Fascinating Quincy, substitution pattern Quincy from Jim. comes in, commits an early dumb foul, and he committed two dumb fouls in this game, but he didn't foul besides those fouls, so he's really been improving on not fouling. He comes in, I think, maybe about like 10, 15 seconds, Commits the foul, gets pulled for Barama immediately, so very short leash for those two guys. And then as the game progresses, he doesn't commit these dumb fouls. Now, speaking of Dolajai, 
I want to say that some of these fouls that he's committing are because he's being forced to play the center position because of Sadibe's foul problems. And granted, Sadibe's undersized, or he's he's just too, he doesn't have the weight to play the center position, but neither does Tolajai. They just don't have a guy that's big enough. Yeah, I mean, that's been the biggest issue, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, after we take a break in a couple of minutes. We'll, we'll talk about kind of what this season has come down to and how this season has gotten completely off the tracks, and that center spot is is a big reason why. But I just, I don't know, like, Marek will make some really smart plays. He'll make some really impressive plays, you know, but you can't foul. You just, it has to, it has to turn around. It's a really... Really big issue, as I also think, is the three-point shot, especially over these last nine games. So they shot not a great percentage, once again, from beyond the arc in this Louisville game. Checking out the stats right now, they went 7 for 26 from beyond the arc. That's well under 30%. Um, In the last nine games, so their season average right now, which has dipped considerably because of these last nine games, is 33.5% from beyond the arc. They have not shot above that season average once in the last nine games. They're shooting 26.6% from beyond the arc in those last nine games. That goes back to the Boston College win, so it includes, I think, the road win against Notre Dame and then the terrible 6-7 of streak. That's uh, terrible. Virginia Tech win as well, I guess. Yeah, but, I mean, just awful. Really, I mean... Yeah. For a team that's predicated around the three-point shot, to shoot 26.6% from beyond the arc, I mean, that's pathetic. That's really bad. Like, that is horrendous. You're not going to win games doing that. You're just not. No, you can't. I mean, that, when you don't have any bigs, at least often, just none at all, we'll, we'll leave it at that, and you can't shoot, how are you going to win games? And I think a lot of this is predicated on the play of Buddy Beheim. Elijah Hughes being hurt one game also does not help. I mean, if, if Elijah Hughes doesn't play, this team can't win. They just don't have the pieces. Yeah, I think the, the season kind of turned on that game. We'll get to that in a little bit as well. And Joe Girard, I mean, he scores, but he's inefficient at this point in his career. He's still, like you mentioned, J.D., earlier, since he made everything in high school, he thinks he can do that here, and it's it's a, it's a massive learning curve when you're transitioning from low-level high school ball to ACC basketball. Let's put it this way, 26.6%, if it were extrapolated out over the whole season and that's what you're shooting for the year, you'd be well in dead last in the ACC in three-point field goal percentage. Right now, that's Carolina at 29.2%. It's an issue. There are a lot of issues. And really, at the game, being there at the KFC Yum Center, I mean, they just look look tired. I don't want to call them tired physically because Jim Boeheim might not be pleased with that comment because he insists that nobody's tired physically although I'm sure they're it looks like it. I'm sure they're a little bit tired at some point playing 40 minutes a night, but they look tired mentally, they look broken down, they looked frustrated, they looked dejected. I mean it was not a good game in Kentucky. I mean it was far from, you know, it just wasn't good. And that's the fact of the matter and that's kind of the way the last part of this season has gone, and there were a lot of issues in the Louisville game, but we'll diagnose some of the issues in this last little stretch here and really for the entire season to what Syracuse to, you know, what has gotten Syracuse to this point where the NIT is the only thing coming for them. And right now they're not even set to host the NIT, which is a whole other issue in and of itself. We'll break it all down when we come back. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. 
All right, it's time to break out the medical equipment here on Orange Fizz. Neither Thomas nor I have a medical degree, but we are going to talk about diagnosing uh, this Syracuse basketball team, especially over this last seven-game stretch where they have lost six of seven, and really this just the season in general with you know what has gone wrong and what has gotten us to this point where they're a game under 500 in the ACC, and they're only two games above 500 in general, and really they're staring at an NIT berth right now. I think the only way they can make the NCAA tournament is if somehow, some way, they pull off the miracle of all miracles and win the ACC tournament. But what do you say is right now? Well, there are a lot of stuff, so we'll get into a lot of the pieces. But what do you think right now is the biggest issue for Syracuse basketball? I think it's got to be the shooting. I think, really, the center position, ideally, that's the biggest flaw. But we've known that all year. We knew that before the season even started. We were on a Fizz radio, and we had a discussion of, we just don't think Baram Sidibe is the guy. And he hasn't been. But I think this team has won between Elijah Hughes, Buddy Beheim, and Joe Girard all stepping up. Usually two out of the three stepping up and winning games for this team. Now they're not doing that anymore. This center position isn't going to magically improve overnight. This it, it, It's not going to change. What can change... What has been good in the past and could potentially be good again is the shooting because the defense has been porous all year, but the shooting is the one thing that, well, at one time it was good, and that's why they've really faltered, and maybe they could have taken some of these games that they lost, like the one against NC State, and that's the only thing that could potentially improve. It's fallen completely off the tracks at this point. I mean, you've got two of, if not the best shooters in the ACC in Buddy Bayheim and Elijah Hughes. And to shoot just under 27% in the last nine games where you know you were going into a stretch of games that are more than winnable, and then you've got a couple of games mixed in there as well against two of the top three teams, or actually all three of the top teams in the ACC. There are really only three locks for the NCAA tournament at this point, probably one more. Virginia is nearing becoming a lock with the way they've been playing lately. Um, But you needed one against Duke, Louisville, or Florida State. You got none of them. You needed to win games against fellow bubble teams. NC State's a good example. You didn't win that one. And things have just completely fallen off at this point. And I th- I want to go back to that NC State game because if there's a time where I think this downturn really started to take shape, it was the North Carolina State game. They were coming in. They had lost three of their last four, I want to say, or at least two of their last three. They had just come off losses to Duke and Clemson. Um, they had a win against Wake Forest at that point. And then NC State comes, okay, this is a huge game. You're both bubble teams, pretty much identical resumes. One of these teams is probably going to get in the tournament. Uh, The other one isn't, and that might not still be the case, but, you know, NC State did just beat Duke at home by 22. So, but that was a humongous game. I mean, I can't, that was a huge game because you needed to bounce back a little bit. You had lost two of three. You were going into that Florida State-Louisville stretch where you needed to beat one of those two teams to have a chance at the tournament. And then it wasn't even, you know, their fault that they lost that game. I mean, it was because they didn't win it. But Elijah Hughes only plays three minutes and they lose by, what, four, five points? Like, very unfortunate circumstances. And I think if you win that NC State game, which you would have done if Elijah Hughes had played, because 
Devin Daniels would have been on Elijah Hughes, the best perimeter defender for the Wolfpack, so that would have left Buddy Beheim with some better looks, and he wouldn't have been as bad as he was in that game. That gives you a different sense of momentum, a different sense of confidence. You've won two in a row heading to Tallahassee uh, rather than losing uh, one or three of your last four heading into that game. That gives you a different sense of confidence for that game. Maybe you pull that one out against the uh, number eight team of the country on the road. Then you've got a number eight win in, under your, in your pocket from Florida State, and you go in there to Louisville with even more confidence. But the fact that Elijah Hughes didn't play in that game might have been the entire turning point of the season and really just those issues that have now happened since then, especially in the last two games, are very indicative of how this season has gone. Yeah, I agree, J.D. I think you pull it out if Elijah Hughes plays. And I think really that there's a lot to be said about what that means for the Florida State game. Because Buddy Beheim was the guy once Elijah Hughes was gone against NC State and he just played terribly. He's not a number one guy. Against Florida State, those same struggles from the NC State game carried over and extrapolated to become even worse. Buddy Beheim scored zero points against FSU. Syracuse lost by three. If Buddy Beheim hits one three, that's a tied ball game. If he hits two, that's a win for Syracuse and maybe gives them a. Uh, that might be all they need to make the NCAA tournament if they finish strong, if they beat Florida State there. They don't. So I think a lot of this does come back to Elijah Hughes getting injured and maybe really Buddy Beheim. I don't know if it's a shock to his confidence or what, but his play has just deteriorated in this last three-game stretch, and maybe that has to do with Elijah Hughes' injury and maybe teams figuring out, okay, well, if we just put more pressure on Buddy Beheim, he can't, he can't create for himself. Elijah Hughes can't lead this team by himself. He needs his number two guy, and... That number two guy hasn't been there since the NC State loss. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just hasn't been really good. And as long as far as diagnosis goes, I think I'm going to diagnose this team with a lower body injury, quite honestly, because that's what Elijah Hughes had that kept him out of that NC State game. And I really think, you know, the season was, <clears throat> you know, heading in the wrong direction even before that with the losses to Clemson and Duke in a row and. And, you know, things are, you know, not trending in the proper direction going into those Florida State and Louisville games. But if you beat NC State, a pretty good team at home, and you beat them relatively convincingly, you've got yourself so much more opportunity and passion and momentum heading into those big-time games. But my other diagnosis is going to come at the center spot. I, I just think it's such an issue. I mean, they can't rebound. They especially can't re rebound defensively. I mean, it's terrible. Their defensive rebounding is awful. Last two games, Florida State and Louisville, yes, they're two of the better teams in the country. They're not particularly good rebounding teams, though. No. And they've gotten double-digit offensive rebounds, double-digit second-chance opportunities. When your defense is already bad, allowing offensive rebounds to the other side is an issue. The foul trouble is such an issue. I mean, there was one point where Mark Dolajai was in foul trouble, but Barama wasn't yet. Interesting. Which was weird because Barama <laughs> ends up fouling out, but he also had like three fouls in a matter of like five minutes toward the end of his time in the game. But there was one point where the five on the floor, because Buddy wasn't playing well, or no, Joe wasn't playing well, so Buddy was still in there, was Howard Washington, Buddy Beheim, Mark Dolajai, Elijah Hughes, and... Who's the person I'm missing Sidibe here? Sadibe or Good Yeah, Sadibe. Oh. Sorry, Sadibe. 
So five on the floor. Let's re- reiterate that. Five on the floor. Howard Washington, Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, Mark Dolajai, and Barama Sidibe. You've got two offensive liabilities out there in that in that lineup. Howard Washington is not a scorer. He's a facilitator at most, and Barama Sidibe can't score unless it's off a rebound or, I guess, free throws, even though he's not a good free throw shooter. Well, he hasn't missed a shot in games. <laughs> Great. <laughs> because nobody's guard, like nobody cares about him. He like, takes that, one shot. That's yeah. indicative of the fact, like, they just doubled Buddy Beheim or they doubled Elijah Hughes, and they just complete, especially off a screen, if Barama came to set a high ball screen, they would just let him roll to the bucket free. It was honestly the Pascal Chuku move. We don't have to guard him. What's the point of that? Let's double a guy that can actually score. And not having that scoring threat at center is another huge issue. I mean, this team has just completely gotten off the tracks. There are so many reasons. But I think, like you said, the shooting, which we talked about, has been really bad. The lower body injury for Elijah Hughes kind of set this, you know, the rest of this downturn really on a downward spiral, a little Humpty Dumpty action, uh, you know, breaking and all that, and it's not great. And then the center position has become a serious liability at this point, whether it be rebounding, whether it be defensively, whether it be offensively, whether it be foul trouble and having to force younger players in. Not great. Not good at all. J.D., you went lower body injury for your diagnosis for the Syracuse team. I know we mentioned earlier there's a lot of different problems, so I'm going to go with a little bit of a different diagnosis. I think it's the right shoulder, upper arm area of this team. You mentioned the shooting's been terrible. It's it, it, as as a shooting team, they came into the season. Jim Beheim said, "Yeah, we're gonna shoot the three. That's what we're gonna do." They're shooting threes. They're just not hitting any threes, and they don't have any really other way to score because they don't have a presence down low. And Merrick Dolajai not being able to score is a massive hit for this team. He had three points in the last game, and I think the the right shoulder also applies to Baram Sidibe and his foul trouble because every time he puts his hands up, he never goes straight up. He always goes at about a 45-degree angle, and that's a big reason why he keeps getting called for these fouls. And if you go at a slanted angle, well, one, it's a foul. Two, the refs are going to call it every single time down the court. That's why he can't stay on the floor. Now, Quincy Garrier, to his credit, he was kind of doing the same thing, but he's He's adjusted. It. He's, he's adjusted how he's playing, and now he's not fouling anymore, which Syracuse absolutely needs because there's been games where all three of those guys have been in foul trouble. Now, great, at least one guy isn't in foul trouble, but it's just th- there's so many issues. The shooting, the defense isn't improving, the center position, really the play of the bigs, and I, I want to throw another one in here. Merrick Dolajai needs to score. He needs at least 10 points a game for this team to really be clicking because if there's no inside presence at all, and granted Quincy Garrier has kind of become that guy in replacement of, of Dolajai, but if there's no inside threat, well, then teams can just shift even further on Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, and Joe Girard and make him shoot even worse and worse, more contested shots. And speaking of Elijah Hughes, he's got to get to the hoop because he's a great three-point shooter. But he's such a good shot creator that he I would like to see him start the game just getting to the bucket. Getting to the line and making shots there and then expanding his range out from there instead of chucking up these bad threes that, frankly, as good of a player as Elijah Hughes is, and he's made these shots before, they're not high percentage looks. So a lot of problems for the Syracuse team and They're running out of time to find some answers. I mean, at this point, I think they have run out of time to get some answers for the NCAA tournament. I think they're NIT-bound 
through and through. So we'll diagnose them with our wonderful non-existent medical degrees. We'll diagnose them with a right arm injury for Thomas, and I will diagnose them with a lower body injury because of the NC State game and how that game has affected the rest of the season. We're going to take a quick break here on Fizz Radio, but when we come back, we'll inject a little positivity into this Fizz Radio. A lot of this has been negative and looking how the basketball team has fallen apart, but Syracuse football, although didn't have a great this year, this year they had a couple of standout individuals. Four of them will be at the NFL Combine, which starts tomorrow at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. We'll break down all four of them, their chances, where they're going to land, possibilities for their NFL career. That's coming up on the other side. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Enough about that pesky basketball team. Let's talk a little positivity, a little Syracuse football. I know it's not exactly football season, but there is some news to talk about here on Fizz Radio. J.D. Rocci alongside Thomas Schultz. We've got you up to the top of the hour here on the score, 1260. And really, kind of out of nowhere, the NFL Combine has quickly approached. It'll start actually Tomorrow on Sunday, and four guys for Syracuse football will be in attendance, Thomas. I know. I've been so consumed with Syracuse basketball and even Syracuse lacrosse the season starting that I completely forgot about the NFL Combine. Those four guys that will be there are Alden Robinson, Kendall Coleman, Christian Jackson, and Sterling Hoffrichter. Sterling Hoffrichter is one of the best punters in the country and one of the best punters in this NFL draft class. I think this is a great opportunity for Kendall Coleman and Tristan Jackson specifically to maybe improve their draft stock a little bit. They're kind of, uh, I mean, at least Kendall Coleman is projected to go undrafted during the seventh round right now. A, a good showing at the combine could be really, really beneficial for him especially. Yeah, I think that this is an interesting group of guys because when you look at the four, I think there's a clear runaway top prospect for Syracuse football. Uh, they haven't had a first-round NFL draft pick since Justin Pugh went to the Cardinals. Was he drafted by the Cardinals or drafted by the Giants? He's played for both in his NFL career, but he was drafted in the first round in 2013. So it's been seven years since there was a first-round NFL draft pick uh, for Syracuse football. I don't think there was an NFL draft pick at all last year, two years. No, Chris Slayton was a draft pick yeah. last year. Actually, I was thinking Chris Slayton was two years ago for some reason. Chris Slayton went in the seventh round to the Giants last year. He's kind of uh, you know, a bench piece for that New York organization. But you got a good opportunity for a guy to get selected in the middle rounds in Alton Robinson. I think he's pretty clearly the front runner among the four in terms of what people think can be an NFL career. For Alton Robinson, there were even some points this season where people had him going in the late 20s of the first round. I think that has fallen off considerably because his production fell off this season in general. Uh, between he and Kendall, really, their production fell off from pretty outstanding junior seasons. But I still think he's got the ability to possibly be an impact player at the next level if he finds the right situation and if he finds the right coaching staff and the right development staff. Yeah, absolutely. I think Allen Robinson is uh, going to make a lot of money pretty soon in the NFL. Tristan Jackson's another guy who's kind of borderline. He's projected somewhere between rounds three and five. That's a big, big difference. So if he uh, if he has a great combine, maybe eventually gets to interview with some executives, does well there, could really shift his draft stock. So very exciting times for a considerable amount of Syracuse football players. It's kind of rare that we see four guys that can be, you know, potentially drafted in a draft class for Syracuse. So a lot of big names for the Syracuse football class and maybe hopefully a lot of good times ahead for the four of them. I think Tristan's an especially interesting case because, of course, he still had the one remaining year of eligibility. Could have come back 
um, put up big numbers again in you know year two with Tommy DeVito, really develop that chemistry, and a lot of people hope uh, that that's the way that the Syracuse football offense is going to trend, especially with Sterling Gilbert, the new offensive coordinator in charge. They hope that it's going to be a little bit more efficient, a little bit you know, just better than it was this year because at times it was not really good. And the fact that Tristan Jackson put up those numbers in that offense uh, was really impressive you know, for, for him this year in his first full season uh, playing for Syracuse. But he's an interesting case because I don't think he has any one tool that really sticks out to me. Um, you know, some guys are fast, some guys are long, some guys have really good hands, some guys have really good catch radiuses, things like that. I don't think Tristan's the fastest guy. He's certainly not the biggest guy. He's certainly not the strongest guy. Uh, his hands are pretty good, not great. I mean, they're good enough. Uh, and, but I think the thing is with him, he's experienced. He's not – I don't think – his ceiling's probably a little bit lower than a lot of guys, but I think his floor is pretty high. I don't. I think you, you know pretty much what you're going to get out of Trishan at this point. And he can be one of those guys that he's never going to put up the big numbers. He's never going to be no, you know, a number one option on an NFL team, but he could certainly be a productive member that goes out and gives you, you know, whatever, 50 catches a year, you know, 80 yards a game, however it might be, and kind of carve out that kind of career in the NFL. I think that's totally possible for him, especially, again, similar to Alton, if he, find, if he finds the right fit and he finds the right scheme and the right coaching staff. Absolutely. I think Trishan Jackson, like you mentioned, J.D., is a guy, he doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses. He's not undersized. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but what is he, 6'2"? That's a solid NFL wide receiver size. Again, not the fastest, but fast enough, so he'll have, a, I would believe, a solid NFL career, and it seems like that's what scouts are projecting as well. Alden Robinson is another one where you kind of think, if you find, I mean, with any D lineman, especially an edge rusher, it's all about finding the fit. That's the same thing with Kendall Coleman, I think. He doesn't have the same intangibles that Alden Robinson does. He's not exactly the same physical specimen that Robinson is, but he's a solid player. The thing with Coleman that really hurt him in, same with Allen Robinson is there was just times where they kind of fell off this year and you need that productivity to stay consistent in college and especially once you're trying to make that leap to the NFL. A time to make up for that inconsistency would be the NFL Combine and then speaking of Sterling Hoffrichter, he's kind of a guy that right now is somewhere between the first and third best punters in this class. A really good showing here. He could be Maybe consider the best punter, and that could go. That, I mean, that that's the difference for punters from being drafted to being undrafted. So big, big difference there for Hoffrichter as well. I think the thing with Sterling, I think the one thing that executives are going to look at, he doesn't have the prototypical prototypical body type of somebody that's going to be a really long and athletic punter. I think Riley Dixon, quite honestly, has that body type. A little bit taller, a little bit slimmer. Excellent, uh, you know, flexibility and pliability with his legs. You know. But the numbers speak for themselves with Sterling. I mean, he put up stupid numbers this year. I mean, really, really good numbers. And throughout the season, you know, there were times this year in a very frustrating year for Syracuse football that he was the best player. He was kind of the player that you were most excited to watch because you knew you were going to watch him because there were a lot of three and outs for the offense. Wishing the best of luck to all four of those guys. Think they're all going to have great chances at having good NFL careers. Alton Robinson will likely be the first guy drafted. It's going to be exciting to see what they have to offer up in Indianapolis this weekend. All right, one last quick break here on Fizz Radio. When we come back, it's time for Fizz Feedback. We'll talk a little Syracuse basketball as we have all show, as well as a little bit of Syracuse football. That's coming up on the Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. 
Wrapping things up here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260, J.D. Rocci alongside Thomas Schultz. We've got you up to the top of the hour, probably about five minutes or so here left in the show, Thomas, and we've got a couple of good polls out there for Fizz Feedback this week. Yeah, we do. Our first poll is, will Syracuse basketball improve next season? The options are SC will be better, about the same, a little worse, or much worse, and uh, J.D., Fizz Feedback is pretty optimistic this morning. 52.8% of our voters said SC will be better next season, and I hate to dampen the mood here on Fizz Radio in our last segment, but I just do not agree, especially with, I think, the pending loss of Mr. Elijah Hughes. Yeah, I don't think he's coming back. I really, why why would he, especially in the NBA, as you continue to age and as you continue to get older, your draft stock becomes much, much, one more, much less desirable. I mean, he's going to be a fifth-year senior next year uh, if he decided to come back. He's a top 70 prospect right now, kind of lurking toward the back half of the second round. I really don't think that he – I mean, he's putting up ridiculous numbers this year, so I don't think that he's going to be able to improve his draft stock anymore if he came back next year. So because of that reason, I'd be inclined to say a little worse, which sounds bad, but I don't see how you lose your best player and you don't really bring in something super special – in the draft class behind him, there are two good players in that class. They're decent. They're good enough. But they're not Elijah Hughes, and they're not going to make that kind of impact. So unless Buddy Beheim or Joe Girard takes that next step, I don't see them being much better than, than they are this year. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree a little worse. I think the rest of the team improves, but they just cannot make up for the loss of Elijah Hughes. And, J.D., we kind of spoiled our answers here, but second Fizz feedback, is Elijah Hughes gone to the NBA after the season? Absolutely, probably too early to tell. He's saying 48.5% said probably 39.4% say absolutely. I'm going to lean absolutely because there's just when you average as much as he's averaging and do as well as you do, I don't care if you're a top five guy or a top 70 guy. You're going to the NBA draft after the season. Yeah, I just don't think there, like I said, I don't really think there's any way to improve on what he's doing already and really make his draft stock rise except I, – I'd just be I'd be surprised honestly if he didn't leave. I do want to go back to will Syracuse basketball improve next season because we did we did get a comment and Ben Benny Boss at Benny Boss says it should be noted that my better vote heavily weighs on what Hughes does. If he stays, I honestly feel that with the returning experience and chemistry that they could be a potential Final Four team. Whew. Number one, I don't think Elijah's coming back. Number two, I don't see how. With the exact same core that you have now, you're not losing anybody except for Sean Belby, uh, you know, after this year. How you go from, what, 14 and 12 and right now 7 and 8 in the ACC to the Final Four? I understand Joe's going to take a step. I understand other guys are going to take a step. I think Quincy will be really, really good next year. I, I No. That's don't, baffling. Don't, don't see it happening. I, I really just don't. But let's, let's move on. Yeah, uh, Fizz Feedback, number three of the day. Can Buddy Beheim become a number one scoring option? Yes, give him time. Still don't know. Probably not. And no, he can't shot create. 35.9% say probably not. JD, I mean, I at this point, I kind of have to lead towards no, he can't create his own shot. I think until we see him do things that Elijah Hughes does and create his own looks, get to the bucket, hit mid-range, hit threes, I hate to say it, but I, I think I'm choosing option four here where he just he's not a number one guy. I'm going to say still don't know just because 
He made such a step from freshman year to sophomore year. What's to say he doesn't make that step from sophomore year to junior year? Uh, but, yeah, it, I mean, if Elijah's gone next year, scoring is going to be a real issue. Yeah. Um, number four in our last fist feedback of Robinson, Coleman, Jackson, and Hoffrichter, how many get drafted? One, two, three, or four. 51.8% say two. I'm going to lean three, actually. I think either Coleman or Hoffrichter get drafted in a pleasant sci- or pleasant draft day for Syracuse. I think there are two guarantees that are going to get drafted. Alton and Tristan, I think both are going to get their names called at some point, probably on the second day of the draft. And I think I'm going to agree with you and say one more slides in there, whether it be Sterling Hoffrichter or Kendall Coleman. All right, that'll just about do it for us here on Fizz Radio on the score 1260. There is a game later today. Follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz for updates throughout. For Thomas Schultz, I'm J.D. Rocky. So long, Syracuse.